Welcome to Living the Life in Tech, a weekly podcast series with CIOs, CISOs, and technology leaders that are sculpting the current tech landscape. Each episode, we aim to provide deep insights from our guests, covering off areas that include leadership, innovation, security, and technology that will assist you and your team in evolving your business. If you enjoy this episode of the podcast, we would love you to provide us with a rating on iTunes or any other source you may be using, along with subscribing to the podcast so you don't miss a thing. We also encourage you to subscribe to our weekly newsletter at ciotechasia.com. Hello and welcome to another episode of Living the Life in Tech. My name is Tyra McGurgan and I'm the founder and CEO of CIO Tech Asia, where today I'm joined with Mr. Gary Bentland, who is the Chief Security Officer for Transgrid. So, Gary, great to have you joining us today and uh, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Tyra, and hope you're having a good one. We are indeed in these uh, these unknown times. But um, Gary, I know you've um, you've been involved in security now um, since the last century, um, securing the 2000 Sydney Olympics, and then working for uh, across a variety of sectors, um, including sort of the energy, transport, mining, and financial services um, sectors, to name a few. But tell us a bit more about who Transgrid are and um, how this role has uh, differed from some of your previous ones in the past. So Transgrid's the transmission utility for electricity for New South Wales. We provide the connection between where the power is generated in coal, hydro, uh, solar, wind, from that generation point to where it's actually being consumed in the major centres of population. And we also provide the, the interconnection between Queensland and New South Wales uh, to Victoria and South Australia. So we're reasonably critical to the economy of New South Wales and really I think that is the key difference for me in this role as to any other um, role I've performed in the past. Uh, If we get it wrong, there is a very clear uh, outcome and that is the lights don't work or something else goes terribly wrong and that is um, very demonstrable. So the other, I think, clear delineation between roles is the threat actors targeting us are very, very sophisticated. They're not your run-of-the-mill ransomware or phishing organisations necessarily. They are nation-state organisations, the intelligence agencies, uh, those types of organisations that have a desire to do harm to other countries, um, to penetrate a network and maintain persistence through our activities designed to detect and defeat them. So, challenging job, um, very rewarding job and very enjoyable because every day, almost every hour can be very different from the previous one depending on what's going on in the world. Yeah, look, absolutely. And I'm sure obviously with this pandemic that's going on as well, I'm, I'm sure there's um, so many challenges that you're facing, like you said, every hour of the day. Um, it could probably be a bit of an understatement, I'd say. But um, there was a, an interesting fact I actually heard about you um, across the grapevine. So correct me if I'm wrong here, but um, when you were very young, only just in the workforce, I believe you also managed to break a financial services mainframe with uh, one key press. Yes, I was the culprit. 
yeah, I, I was the culprit on that. In in the dim dark distant past, um, you could turn mainframes on and off with a single key. It was literally a stop and a start key. The stop was quite simple. Uh, the start was much more complex, and unfortunately, my typing wasn't that great, and I hit the wrong key and stopped the mainframe. And that was the major communications mainframe that ran the the banking network. So everything ground to a halt. Um, <laughs> and I think I was I, I was nineteen. <laughs> There you go. <laughs> well, there was true. So look, obviously, to be a success, I suppose in this security space, um, while being able to continually stay focused on an overall strategy for the business, um, look, I believe, and I suppose most CISOs out there as well, believe it's imperative that you, you have to have an extensive network of people um, that you can really leverage and bounce ideas off, whether you know that be vendors, government agencies, colleagues, etc. So... Tell me, how have you built your network up? And I suppose how important have they been in, you know, your overall growth strategies for, you know, not only this business but but previous ones as well? To me, the the most important thing is really having that network of trusted contacts that you can go to reach out for advice. You can have vendors that you've worked with over many years through different companies and you have taken that product stack with you because you trust it. It does what it says. And delivers. You can have other industry partners as well in this. Um, in the electricity sector, we all talk to each other because we are all interested in lifting the game of the entire sector to a point where we are the least um, accessible or the the, the hardest uh, utility sector to get into um, around the place in the world. We also work with a lot of government agencies. I've spent a lot of time with our friends in Canberra um, exchanging ideas and, and taking some of their their policy and looking how easy it is to implement and feeding back to them or helping shape policy as well because they are very interested, especially in this current role, as to what we're seeing on the ground and we can provide them a level of intelligence um, as to what we see every day. So it's a valuable relationship we have there. And I think one of the, the most important ones I've got, had such a long time in the industry is the, the friendships and the, the colleagues that I've worked with over, over the years. There are some people that you will keep going back to when you encounter an insurmountable problem that you just don't know how to fix. And they may not have the answer either, but they're a sounding board, uh, they're a go-to person, and it gives you uh, an opportunity to discuss that and in a safe safe way so that you can have some crazy ideas to try and resolve what, what you're challenged with. And those crazy ideas may never pan out, but it takes you in a different direction. It makes you think things differently as to how you can solve that issue. So, so there's some amazing people in security, both locally and globally. And I think the networks that we're able to build now with the conferences that are available, even the online conferences that we've got now, um, and even just some of the social media capabilities with Twitter and those things where we can build up massive networks of friends. And and some of those are the most valuable intelligence feeds you're going to get. First thing you might check in the morning is Twitter and then go to your paid intelligence feeds. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And um, you, you mentioned before as well, obviously, shaping policy, um, particularly here with you know, the, the Australian government itself. I mean, how important is that relationship with those guys? It is really important when you're in a regulated industry. 
um, working in finance. Um, in the past, we've dealt with a, a lot of people in the, those regulatory bodies there and in the electricity energy sector. Again, we're regulated because of the critical nature of, of our business. So it is key to form working relationships with those regulators so that you can both discuss the key drivers behind where each of you are coming from and what the end state needs to be. We need to understand collaboratively what that looks like for the betterment of Australia and the economy for all of us in that respect, because that's their key concern. We sit down with Critical Infrastructure Centre, we sit down with ACSC, Australian Signals Directorate and Foreign Investment Review Board mm. to work through those types of issues so that we have a, a robust critical infrastructure that can continue to deliver um, to New South Wales and Australia. Now, security is evolving constantly. So what has kept companies safe, I suppose, yesterday is not always going to work for them tomorrow. So it's vitally important for companies to shift their thinking and understand it's um, not purely a technical fix, but needs to be an integrated approach that embeds you know, cyber security risk into all of their activities. So I personally believe, speaking with a whole heap of CISO um, over the last sort of 12 to 18 months, that, you know, the cyber risk needs to be addressed more of as a business issue. Gary, can you tell me, is Transgrid viewing cyber risk as a business issue or are you looking at it as more of a uh, technology fix? For us, it's a business issue. We deal in managing risk. We manage the risk of bushfires every year. We manage the risk of storms. This is just another form of risk to the organisation, and I prefer to leverage existing capability, existing teams, existing processes and procedures where we can just feed in and say, if this happens, then these are the impacts that could occur. What is the risk of that? We may not be able to calculate based on statistics or empirical data the likelihood of a cyber attack as much as we could say the likelihood of a heat wave affecting the demand on the electricity network. But we can model what we need to from a, a target perspective. If we have multiple systems that are redundant, in any normal calculation, you would assume one fails, we can fall over to the next, then the next, then the next. That would be a catastrophic failure if you lost all of those redundant systems. And in a cyber attack, all of those systems will be targeted not just one, but all three or four. And so it's a different risk calculation, but it is still all about the risk to the business. And once you, once you start modelling it in those terms, you can have those informed conversations that are technology agnostic. You're there to provide a, a risk mitigation to the board, and the board will understand that conversation that you're having with them rather than getting caught up in what colour box have you bought or what blinking light does it have on the front, how fast is it and what's the footprint. Don't want to have those conversations, don't want to know about it. It's how do we address the risk and how do we continue to make sure that the business operates. And, I mean, with the, the, the bushfires obviously taking place last year, that must have had a massive knock-on effect um, for your grid itself and, uh, and the business as a whole. How, we're, uh, yeah. how did that affect you guys? We had a lot of people working around the clock and they were excellent at what they did. We had some very, very stressful moments in part of the business, especially around the snowy area where we had a lot of hydroelectricity power being generated and we bring that up to Sydney um, and to the rest of the state. And we had 
some really tough times down there um, where we had to get all the people out and come back the next day to see what had happened, literally. So we've had structures burned across the state. We've had people out there working for days, days on end, straight weeks on end, getting everything back up and running. But from a stability perspective, we continued to deliver to the consumers in New South Wales. We did not um, have any extended periods of power interruption and we were able to manage the network um, to ensure that it was resilient. But it was really tough. It was oh, really amazing. tough. I just don't think people, you know, unless they're actually seeing it firsthand, realise the actual, you know, the, the damage that those fires had caused to, to so many areas themselves. And for you guys to be able to sort of run that without, you know, get everything back up uh, without too much disruption, I think it's, uh, it's, a, it's a great credit to yourself. There's a, a bunch of people out in the field that are awesome at what they do and we've got some excellent people in the control room that manage those incidents on the fly um, just to keep things keep things running. So all credit to them, they did a great job. Yeah. Look, um, adequate cybersecurity solutions have fallen behind uh, the digital transformation of the utility industry for some time now. Um, and the combination of older... I suppose legacy systems with modern connected devices make it an increasingly complex to secure utilities in full. Are you um, finding this as an sort of an ongoing challenge and concern for the business? Yeah, um, there's, there's components of the network that are legacy and they will stay a legacy until those assets have reached the end of their useful life. Mm. That's how we manage manage the electricity network um, across the life of the asset. We're very good at building things that don't move. We're very good at building things that stay there for a very long time and maintaining them over time and, and ensuring the resiliency of the network. The instrumentation that we put around that does change and that's where we start seeing things like IoT devices in play that look at the, the weather conditions, how hot it is, what the temperature around various parts of the transmission components are like, and that enables us to go faster or go slower, like mm. brakes on a car. If it's a cold day, we can shove more energy down that line, and if it's a hot day, we're going to shove less down it. So having that instrumentation out there is a, a key business enabler, but we need to make sure that those IoT devices, like any of the other ones out there, are secure, are able to be patched, and are not providing a entry point into our network that could be taken advantage of. So th those things are there and we do use them and we use them in a constructive but considered way to manage the risks of the environment versus the business benefit. Now, with this current pandemic taking place, I have no doubt that Transgrid are looking at ways of maintaining the workforce, you know, mental and physical health and ensuring that the people at home are able to do their job effectively and securely. However, with these current challenges comes, I suppose, a loss in efficiency, meaning projects are now going to take longer to complete. How is the business overcoming this challenge and what changes have you had to make for your workers from a security standpoint? From a security standpoint, we've had to make minimal changes. We've just had to ensure that we've had enough capability in the infrastructure to support the shift from in-office working to working from home, making sure that our edge devices have got enough capacity to, do, to deal with the incoming VPN traffic and also helping people understand that whilst you're experiencing an issue with your video conferencing or 
uh, other conferencing software a lot of the time it may not necessarily be the software itself but the the vagaries of your internet connection at any particular time so there's been some challenges in that respect for for some conference calls as always but from a, a security baseline we've had a really good standard baseline across the board for a number of years now so we've had to do nothing really different other than reiterate to the people that um, getting up being active still you can't sit in front of the screen all day in the office you get up you walk around you go to meetings at home you can't sit in front of it all day mental health get up get outside get some sun go do something yeah it's uh i think everyone's everyone's trying to work through it at the moment and we, we hear a lot about um sizos and you know, chief security officers becoming more of a, a data security manager what are your thoughts around this again it comes back to the risk to the business you can lose a device you can lose a piece of hardware or a piece of infrastructure you can lose chunks of your network um if you lose the data then that is the key thing that's what your business runs on is that data store that you've got and that's what you use for your decision making or that's what you use to generate your revenue um, and it also gives you that historical viewpoint of what you've done over the years and not to make any mistakes based on your experience so losing that data is, is key so protecting that whatever you need to do to, to keep that secure i think is where we're transitioning to i am very vendor agnostic i'm not wedded to anything particularly when it's next gen ubut something else um, all the superlatives that we might experience out in the marketplace um, i just need it to do what it says on the box realistically and, and protect the data and, and maintain the integrity of the system and the security and safety of the people that work in my organization okay and look whether you're a ceo cio cfo or you know even a sizo for that matter um communication is key for any business to really excel but from your position how do you manage to get the message around the value add of security rather than the cost of security into the minds of you know your colleagues but you know more importantly the leadership team again it's all about managing risk and enabling the business to do new activities that may involve a level of risk, but to be able to perform those activities to make more revenue, profit, increase the, increase the margins. We're, we're just there to enable those decisions and make sure that when we need to do something new, we can do it in a secure way that's going to maintain the integrity or the confidentiality of the data or the network. Um, in a heavily regulated environment, we also need to make sure that those new opportunities don't breach any of those compliance regulations that we have placed on us as well. So we're also very aware of the regulations that we have to operate under as well. And look, one last question before we do go. Um, beyond 2030, I, I love this question with our guest and uh, artificial intelligence is no doubt going to be playing a much larger part in all of our lives. So what concerns and I suppose even predictions do you have that will play for businesses in the future from, uh, from, from a security standpoint? So I listen to uh, a lot of intelligence, um, traditional intelligence, not artificial intelligence podcasts and read a lot about that in terms of national security. And there's a race that's been going on for a long time between the various powers out there for the lead in artificial intelligence and how that's implemented in various ways. I, I believe that 
AI is becoming a commodity and we're seeing it through, through data sciences in every organisation now. But as that technology progresses, I think it will become more and more of a commodity and as a commodity, it will then become available to sort more of the run-of-the-mill threat actors that we deal with on a daily basis. Mm. And I believe that that level of AI will be a force multiplier for those threat actors and gives them the capability that they've not necessarily had before where they can launch attacks and immediately morph those attacks into something different to try and defeat the defences that they encounter. So that would be uh, my guess as to what's going to happen over the next few years. I think it'd be a very interesting and exciting time to see that in play. Uh, I don't think we're going to see some super graphical GUIs like war games or any of those wonderful things that we'll see in the movies where you know, lights blinking and firing across each other on screen. But I do believe that it will happen. <laughs> yeah, look, it's, it's going to be amazing how things go and uh, down the track. But um, Gary, look, thank you so much for joining us um, today on the uh, podcast. I really do appreciate your time and uh, I wish you and the team all the very best in the future and no doubt we'll catch up again uh, sort of uh, in the, the not so distant future when everything gets back to normal. No problem. Great. Thanks, Tyra. Thanks, Gary. Take care.